Welcome to the Pure Creative Force Podcast. I'm Christy McNabb, your host. There's a pulse of creativity running through each of us. It's our job to honor and activate it. Creativity is the antidote to the ills, struggles, and challenges we see in our lives and the world around us. The act of creating and bringing forth something new dissolves the old and useless ways. Join us and discover how to unleash the pure creative force within. Hear from fellow creators about their process and learn how to keep elevated. Be inspired to go create. In today's episode, I'm interviewing Madison Ursig, a stand-up comedian from Atlanta, Georgia. She shares with us her journey, how she's creating opportunities to write, perform, have a voice, and be the realest, rawest version of herself. We talk about how a few wrong turns helped her face her biggest fears, and then everything started to click. And we talk about how humor opens us up to our deepest truths and connects us as humans. Here's our interview. So welcome, Madison Ursig, to the Pure Creative Force podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So share with us your journey. How did you get started in stand-up comedy? Um, So it's been a bit of a long journey. It took me a little while to find it. But basically, I've been in love with comedy since I was in middle school and doing Shakespeare I was always super drawn to those really goofy characters that Shakespeare has. And um, I found myself living in LA and being put up for these roles that just didn't feel like a good fit. I didn't feel like I had very much of a voice. And, you know, I did the whole, I was blonde and I was going out for these blonde bimbo roles and none of it just, it felt like me. Um, So I really was always craving the opportunity to have a voice in all of that but still have that performance that I loved and that, you know, theatrical aspect to it. So I was out in LA and I was doing some sketch comedy writing for this web series that was focused on, you know, girl problems living in LA. And it was all very centered around looks and wealth. And it was kind of the last straw for me in terms of just really being ready for a change of scenery. So when I got the opportunity to come out to Atlanta, I jumped on it. And I didn't really have much of a plan out here, but one thing that uh, did happen, which I think <laughs> happens when we're kind of in a space of not knowing what we want to do is romance kind of transpired during that time. Um, and I was seeing someone and we connected on a lot of different levels. One of them being that he was super interested in stand-up comedy and had likewise written a bunch of jokes that he had never performed. So we would talk about that a lot, but he was one of those people that never let fear stop him from doing things that he wanted to do. And I always thought that was super inspiring. Um, And then I found myself falling back into that old LA mentality of trying to be this perfect version of myself, trying to be what I thought gentlemen of the day wanted. uh, (laughs) Just being, you know, the goofy, weird, quirky Madison. Um, and ended up not working out. And it was kind of in that space of realizing that I had once again fallen back into the habit of trying to adhere to some societal standard of what I thought I should be and how I should talk and what I should do, that I had missed out on something really special. And it was in that time that I saw that he had actually gone to the laughing school to their open mic and he had performed the jokes that he had written. And I just lit a fire under my ass, honestly, because I 
uh, I had not done that out of fear and out of that space of vulnerability that stand-up puts you into. And so I signed up like later that day and went and did my first open mic. And as soon as I stepped out on that stage, it was like, ah, this, 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 this is everything that, that I'd known that I needed, but also just hadn't been able to put, you know, put words to. Mm-hmm. And so it was like home, being home. Yeah. And it, it's so funny because as soon as it clicked, I felt silly for not having figured it out sooner. I was like, oh, you get to perform, you get to write, you get to have a voice, you get to be the rawest, realest version of yourself, stand-up comedy. <laughs> there it is. Um, and yeah, now that it's, that it's clicked. There's really no going back, <laughs> going back for me now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that you had shared with me earlier, um, you said, just sharing that story, what you did was you put yourself in a fragile position mm. and just being vulnerable and doing something that scared you in the fear. And that just completely cracked everything open for you. Yeah. And I think so often we think that we need to have it all together. And I think particularly as women, we kind of have that pressed upon us, but also we put that upon ourselves. Um, And I had gotten caught up in that. So I think when we put ourselves into positions that, that leave us vulnerable, it's in that vulnerability and in that truth um, that we're actually able to discover things about ourselves and connect with other people and then that's when things really start happening. Mm-hmm. One of the, the other things that you shared was that humor opens us up to a truth, mm-hmm. like a universal truth. So share kind of your philosophy on that. Yeah. Just, just what about that being with the audience and, and how you connect? So I think what had originally drawn me to to just performance in general, and again, being a Shakespeare nerd, Hamlet had said in Hamlet that like theater and the performing arts, that it's a mirror to humanity and that we get to see ourselves in it and we recognize truth within that. And I think stand-up is an amplification of that in the sense of the things that we laugh at and the things that I think we find the funniest are the things that we recognize within ourselves and things that we see as truth. it's so funny watching the, like the discovery on people's faces when you say something that they thought they were the only ones that thought that, or, you know, the only ones that experienced that. And it's just this pure, I don't even know how to put words to that, but just um, this, this pure openness that we don't often experience in groups of people. And I think that that's what standup has the ability to do is, is it helps us to recognize truths that we all identify with. And I think for all the differences that we have as humans, there are more things that are the same. And it's being able to speak to those commonalities in ways that make us laugh and kind of help us to lower our guards that we connect with each other the most. And Midtown and Atlanta is a really cool place just in general because like there is such a hodgepodge of people so when you're at a club like the Laughing Skull in Midtown, you'll find yourself doing stand-up in a room full of people from all different backgrounds and of different ages and genders and ethnic, you know, ethnicities and finding ways to speak to things that we all relate to. It just brings everyone in that room into just like the, the purest form of, of relation. Um, and I think when you're able to do that, it attaches a humanity to different truths in a way that politics and um, 
you know, we typically use like politics as the platform to speak about difficult things, but in doing that, we often remove the humanity from different topics. And I think that's where the danger lies. Whereas humor does the opposite. I think it attaches a certain level of humanity to things. And when you do that, then you can actually have real honest discussions where people are still open and able to have that discussion. Because I think in politics, we often just immediately, you know, shut down, we close ourselves off. Um, and we're just not able to even really fully enter into that conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Laughter is kind of bridges that gap. Absolutely. What's your creative process? So I think for a lot of stand-ups, it's the same in terms of just like random inspiration is definitely one of the biggest components. So I have notebooks, you know, in every little nook and cranny of my life, just so I never am without the ability to write something down. My phone is a, (laughs) it's almost like a secret code. I don't know if anyone else would be able to crack it, but uh, I have a ton of stuff there. But I think there is also something very important about being intentional with your creativity in the sense of taking time to sit down and to write. So there's another stand-up comic uh, in town, and we have a system where we have to write three jokes a week, and if we don't, we owe the other person $20. And it's, you know, it's, as much as people say that's putting like constraints on your creativity or what have you, there's something to be said about being disciplined within that creativity. Um, And even if, you know, out of those three jokes a week and, you know, only one of them is good, that's still one more joke that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't taken the time to sit down and do it. So that's one thing that we do. And then I think Actually, the biggest component to stand up is after you've written those jokes, it's the discipline of going out and testing those jokes. I think a lot of people focus too much on either the writing or the performance, but it's really, you know, blocking out time in your schedule to do both. So going to open mics, that individual I was talking about, he's super inspiring to me because his thing is like, I want to hit nine mics a week. So that's going up, you know, multiple times a night. And that's what it takes, though, you know, is is it takes that hunger and that tenacity of um, getting those words out as many times as you can so that you can perfect them. And that's kind of where I'm trying to really work the most is I think I even struggled with this in theater. I would prep so much um, that I would take that prep with me on stage and not be able to let go of the text and not being able to let go of the words and just trust that I knew it backwards and forwards and then I could just be present. And I think that the people that kind of explode the most on the comedy scene, it's because when you watch them, you think that they're just talking to you and they're just being genuine. And then, you know, they've prepped all of that, but to a certain extent, they have the ability to let it go and to just truly engage with their audience and respond off of kind of the energy that they're getting. Um, so that's kind of where I'm where I'm trying to make things go for myself right now, what I'm working on the most is letting go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And what tips do you have or how do you center yourself before you get on stage so you can be fully present and create that exchange with the audience? I think the biggest thing, and another comic said these words to me because he says them to himself before he goes on is he says to himself, trust yourself which I think is something that we can take into kind of all areas of our life, but it's trusting that you've put in the work. And, you know, again, that's where the prep comes in because if you haven't, then you don't, you know, you don't necessarily have the ability to trust yourself and trust that the work is there if it hasn't been done. But if it has, and if you've put in that time, it's trusting that, you know, even if you 
completely fall on your face, there'll also be something beautiful in that as well. That's kind of crowd work is a big part of stand up and it can be terrifying to a lot of people, myself included, but it's just engaging with the audience. And I think what's so terrifying about that is you just don't know what the outcome will be. Um, and there is such gold in that. They're like the comedians that are able to really just connect with the audience and have that ability to riff with the audience. Um, people look at them like they're these magicians when really the biggest component of it is they're just trusting that when they put themselves out there into that position, that no matter what happens, it'll be okay because either, you know, they'll, <laughs> they'll, you know, say something that wasn't expected and, you know, the audience will give them more credit because they know that it's genuine in the moment um, or their brain will write something wonderful on the spot. But no matter what it is, I think we as people have the ability to recognize when someone's being genuine and we'll always give that person more credit. Um, and, you know, you can prep things beforehand and that can be helpful um, and try to like get people to say something so that you already have that planned response. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think we are more perceptive as humans than we give each other credit for. Um, and we can kind of sense that disingenu disingenuity is uh, not a word, I don't think. <laughs> Inauthenticity. <laughs> Fakeness. <laughs> Being disingenuous. Uh, yes. And so I think, yeah, it's trusting yourself and trusting that the audience uh, has your best interest at heart as well. I don't think we trust that very often. Have you had the experience of a heckler or like a stinker st sitting right in the front row? And how do you handle that? <laughs> I have. And I like the, that's something that I'm definitely um, trying to get better at is addressing it because the biggest thing is addressing it because everyone in the room is seeing it. Uh, it's kind of like when you're on stage and like, you're doing a scene and the broomstick drops on the floor and then people, you know, an actor just goes along with the scene. It's like, well, we all saw the broomstick fall. <laughs> so a human respond to that. Um, and I think it's the same thing in stand-up. It's like, okay, well, if you were out on the street and someone said something like that to you or someone was interrupting you while you were doing something important, like, how would you handle it? How would you just be a person? Um, someone was telling me this story about this guy heckling this female comedian um, and just kind of being a chauvinist <laughs> pig. But the way she called him out was she just said, you're better than that. And it just stopped the room because that was, that was just the truth. And it wasn't this like crazy, you know, retaliation, you know, joke that she had written. It was just calling the audience member, uh, you know, to be the best version of himself. And there was nothing, you know, super crazy about that besides that there was just a truth there. And it, I guess it just, he was like, you know what, you're right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then get, <laughs> Mic drop, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I personally sometimes ignore when things like that are happening and I'm trying to learn to just address it and not try to address it the way that other people would address it. And it's going to just be wildly hilarious, but to just address it in the most genuine way that I can. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, again, it, uh, it just it's so much of it just comes back to really just being in the moment and listening to people and responding to what they're giving you. Right, uh, and that, that, that person, as everyone in the audience, just wants to be seen and heard. Right. So absolutely, that's a great strategy. Yeah, and I think that a lot of times, um, 
you know, you can be mean in retaliation and that can be funny and, and kind of a short-sighted sense. But like you said, you know, that person also, you know, there's reasons behind why everyone does what they do and finding a way to connect with that person and maybe even get their, get them on your side uh, at the end of the day is going to have a better effect on the room and just the whole feeling afterwards, after that exchange takes place. Um, Cause it might be funny in the moment to kind of lay into someone, but it might also disrupt the entire chemistry of what's going on. What's been your most exhilarating experience on stage or the whole process, I guess? Yeah, a hundred percent. It was actually this past Monday getting to open for Eliza Schlesinger just because when I, before I was even in, interested in doing standup, um, my friends and I would like watch her specials and we just loved feeling like, oh, someone's on stage who kind of reminds us of ourselves because she's talking about things that we care about and she's making these insightful comments to things that we haven't thought about and male to female interactions and, you know, how it is to be a woman in today's society and things like that. Um, so then getting to open for her was definitely a uh, at this point, the highest point in my, in my career. Um, but I think it was also because her audience is very similar to what I think my audience is. Uh, so getting to do comedy in a room full of people who are all on the same page with me, there's something really cool about that. And I think that as a stand-up, you need to be able to go to any room and to connect with people, but having people just already be on board with what you're talking about, that was a pretty unique situation for me. Um, and the most fun I've ever had on stage. Cool. Yeah. What do you think is funny? <laughs> what do I think is funny? Um, honestly, when people, I'm a big fan of like self-deprecating humor because I like to see people kind of drop whatever facade they have going on. So when people are able to make fun of themselves in a way that also helps you relate to them or, you know, helps you identify things within yourself. That's what I tend to think is funniest when people are just being real and raw and honest. And if that's gross and if that's vulgar, then so be it, but it's real. So I tend to be very self-deprecating. <laughs> I think that's, that's my style for sure. And what are the types of things that you bring into your uh, performance? I talk a lot about kind of the way that I grew up um, in terms of how there was a lot of things that kind of within, because I grew up in like a private Christian school, um, and I still, you know, share so many of those beliefs, but I can, at this point in my life, pick apart different things that were unhealthy about that, um, and the way that just there are topics that are not discussed, and how if we're able to just have open dialogue about these things, that it can, you know, save a lot of heartache for people. So I try to have that dialogue, you know, on stage, but do so in a way that uses some of my painful experiences um, as examples of what can happen, but to do that in a funny way um, and to kind of point out the humor in those different circumstances. And I think I also, I like to talk a lot about kind of how I was sharing with you, just how I felt the pressure to be this version of myself and how that ended up leading to a uh, failed relationship, but how we do that as women um, and just as people, how we put on these facades and how really if we were to just be the true raw version of ourselves that we will be able to have more genuine connections with people. Um, I like to just make fun of the different facades that we put up. That's amazing. How do you think laughter heals? 
I think laughter has the unique ability to help us lower our defenses. And I think that the only time that healing can take place is when we open up our hearts. And as much as that also opens us up for more pain, um, healing can't take place when we close ourselves off. And I think that that laughter is one of the things that most enables that openness. And I think too, it, it helps us again, talk about things that we wouldn't normally talk about um, and topics that we kind of hold so you know, close to our hearts because they've hurt us that we can't let go of them. But if we're able to talk about them, maybe we can let go. Um, so I think, I think that laughter is intrinsic to healing. I don't think it can really even take place without being able to, because I think it also gives us perspective. You know, it's almost like a bird's eye view sometimes when we talk about something with humor is it helps us to be like, oh, you know, maybe that wasn't the end of the world or this isn't the biggest thing because we can see it from a higher perspective or we can see how other people are experiencing the same thing. So I think it doesn't always comedy has the ability to, to bring healing. Yeah. It's like the, the frequency or the energy of laughter just shakes up mm. what's stagnant or raw and allows something new to come in. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I think you see that a lot with like, for example, like, Hannibal, you know, talking about something that no one wanted to talk about and people in the comedy world knew about it. It's like, it's, it's just, it's shaking things up and it's not letting things continue on the way that they were. You know, I think that we like to talk a lot about change, um, but we're also very fearful and it stand up. You kind of have to be bold. Um, and I think that that boldness is rewarded. Mm -hmm. Were you the funny kid growing up? what's what's uh my brother was actually always the funny one my older brother sean um so even like at the dinner table he was always the one cracking jokes but i was always the one um kind of silently processing things and writing kind of in the corner <laughs> the observer you were the observer watching <laughs> never and that's the thing is you know different styles of comedy I think come from you know people's personalities and my personality is not going to be the life of the party that's just not who I am or who I've ever been um but I do think that I have some insight and I think that that's something that has been the case since I was younger and kind of I'm a bit of a student of of people and things and um I like to kind of take that information and process it through my strange little brain and and then present those ideas. <laughs> so I'm definitely more of more of a writer's uh, comic and less of a less of a party gal. But yeah, so I was not so much the class clown as the class silent writing weirdo. But you know, <laughs> it works. <laughs> Have you always thought of yourself as being creative or a create creative person? Yeah, I definitely have, and I think a lot of creative people. Um, kind of know that about themselves when they maybe have an inability to relate to certain groups of people or an ability to maybe interact. Like I was never, uh, I was never able to just, hmm, how do I put this? To a certain extent, I think creative people sometimes feel alone and feel like loners. Um, but for me, I find that like that feeling 
has now drawn me closer to this whole other group of people that grew up also feeling the same way. You know what I mean? And it's, again, it's realizing that you're not alone and that there are other people that have felt that way as well. Are there any negative thoughts that pop up like, oh, I can't do this or who am I to do this? Can you just share about the kind of the mental process and how you override anything that might be resistance or kind of keep you from doing what you are here to do? Yeah, I just was having a conversation actually earlier today about this. Um, And I think that it's, again, a common thing that a lot of people experience. But for me, kind of the overarching um, theme or the voice that's pretty consistent is like, you don't deserve this or you, you know, you don't deserve to be doing this or to have this position or, you know, and that's, that's carried on with me with relationships and um, different jobs and things like that. So I think, again, that's a common voice that that people can have resounding in their ears. Um, But I think it's important with that or the way to overcome that is to kind of change the conversation away from whether or not you deserve it um, to kind of how you're able to help other people. Like, I may not deserve X, Y, and Z, but what can I do to relate to people, to make them feel heard, uh, to make them laugh. And it just, it takes the focus off of, you know, off of yourself and onto other people. What's the scariest thing about stand-up? I think the scariest thing, because with acting and other maybe creative pursuits, there are ways in which to separate yourself from kind of the end result. But with stand-up, it's just you and your thoughts and your ideas. And I think this is funny and, oh, no, you don't. So I think the scariest part is that you're really just putting, hopefully, yourself and the rawest form of yourself out there. And um, people, because it's just another form of entertainment, people feel pretty free to say whatever they want about it because, you know, in their minds, it's just another, uh, you know, I think, again, we live in the age, too, of feeling like we have the right to comment on anything and everything. Um, So people feel the need to critique or the right to critique. So I think there's definitely something scary about um, putting yourself out there for for the review. Um, But again, I think it's only in that space of being completely vulnerable that the best things can happen when we're not, you know, holding anything back. Mm-hmm. And share, um, we had talked previously that when you did get up and do the open mic, mm-hmm. doors just started opening everywhere or connections or like kind of you putting yourself into action yeah. made everything else just start to move and put, it, put itself in place. Yeah. Um, so that first night that I went there, the person who was hosting um, was actually that time managing as well. Uh, and I think that so often people are put in our lives to kind of encourage us longer to be mentors. And that person has become a huge mentor in my life. And it was just from, you know, if I'd gone maybe another night or if I had gone somewhere else, I might not have made that connection with that person. Um, and having someone, you know, make that investment. Cause again, we, you know, we aren't these, you know, these solo planets just kind of, uh, you know, off on our own and not connecting with other people. Uh, it's so important, those connections we make with other people. So that was a huge thing for me. Um, and then I think just finally not feeling like I needed to spin my wheels anymore, figuring out what I wanted to do also just propelled me forward. I think we spend way so much time trying this, that or the other, to try to figure out what feels right. 
So I think even just making that connection that I knew this was the right thing started opening doors because I had that assurance um, and kind of had that locked in in my gaze. And I think that once we have that assurance, then everything else around us can start to line up as well. What advice do you have for listeners out there, maybe someone who doesn't think they're creative or um, is afraid they've they've got these um, desires or they want to write a book or they want to go do stand-up or what would you say to them? I think the biggest thing is just movement and not in like these big, grandiose, you know, broad, sweeping ways, but it's taking little steps. Um, you know, for stand-up, it's, it's an open mic. It's even just writing the joke uh, and then finding what maybe the next step is. Because I think when we have these looming ideas ahead of us, it can be overwhelming we forget that, you know, the only way to get to that is by taking these really small steps. What structures do you put in place in your day or in your week Mm -hmm. to allow the creativity to come through? Like definitely before, like I said, that accountability, I think is huge. So for me, it's, it's that three times a week or I owe somebody uh, some money. Um, and for me, just knowing that I'm a night owl, it's, it's being realistic. So I know that I'm not going to be the person that gets up at six in the morning and writes. So I'm not even going to set that goal for myself. I know that I like to stay up. So maybe instead of staying up and playing on my phone from the hours of 12 to one, I spend that time writing. Um, so for me, it's just setting things that are realistic, but at the same time um, require some sacrifice. I think exercise and being healthy is like a big way too of opening up those channels just because there's a lot that, uh, you know, is freed up within ourselves when we're, we're giving our bodies what it needs. Um, so that's a big thing for me is whether that's hot yoga or a run or a walk or boxing, it's, um, it's giving my body what it needs in order to have it do for me what I need it to do. Mm-hmm. Do you get ideas when you're exercising or is that just to help you be open in other parts of your day? a little bit of both um i definitely there is many a note on my phone that has been made while stopping in piedmont park mid run um but i think the biggest part of it for me is just kind of opening up those channels and it's amazing just kind of you know even just scientifically like the chemicals that are released when when you exercise and when you um yeah when you make that investment so i think those are kind of my concrete ways right now Um, but you know, of course the plan is progress. So maybe in a few months from now, I will have implemented a new system as well that gives out, you know, gives me a higher level of productivity. Um, but not trying to do all of that at once. And right now, just taking those small steps. Cool. Small steps are good. They're paying off for you. (laughs) Share with us your top tips for tapping into your creative force. My top three tips would be one, not to be an island, uh, not to cut yourself off from people and to, as much as you can, open yourself up uh, to other people so you can kind of get that wisdom from them so you can open up your heart um, and just allow things to actually make its way in because I will only benefit you and your creativity. The second would be, I think, recognizing really small ways to take steps forward and implementing that on a small scale Uh, and not focusing too much on the big picture and getting caught up in that. And I think three would be finding ways to quiet that voice um, that says that you can't or you shouldn't or that you don't deserve 
you know, to be someone uh, doing that creative thing or enjoying that creative experience. Um, and I think ways of quieting that are to put the focus on other people and, you know, besides yourself and figuring out, you know, what about that creative thing benefits others and focus on that as opposed to that voice that puts it, puts it back on you. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Madison. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Madison, for sharing your wisdom on the pure creative force. Connect with Madison on Instagram, madison.ersig. That's M-A-D-I-S-O-N dot E-R-C-E-G. Check out her upcoming stand-up schedule, and if you're in Atlanta, be sure to catch her show at the Laughing Skull Lounge. Thanks for joining us on the Pure Creative Force. Be inspired and go create something new today. And if you enjoy the captivating mantra music, check out our featured musical artist, Osley. That's O-S-L-E-E underscore music on Instagram.